Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 120, your weekly ma- uh, podcast covering everything Magic the Gathering related. Joining us, as always, your hosts, uh, Chaz, accompanied by Richard, the owner of MTG Goldfish. What's up, Richard? Glad to have you back. Glad to be back, guys. What's up? What is up? And Seth, probably better known as Saffron, all of our resident jank brewer and all-around content creator for Magic the Gathering. Seth, what's up? What's going on, guys? What is up? And Chaz, uh, general content creator for Magic the Gathering, focusing on the financial aspect of the game. You can find us on Google Play, iTunes, mtggoldfish.com, and now on YouTube. So, on the docket for this week, uh, it's actually great that you're back, Richard, because we get to talk about all the uh, (laughs) hoopla that happened over the last week. So, uh, Wizards released their uh, 1v1 leagues. Uh, They'll be starting up soon, uh, and the ban list... Uh, that they came uh, that they came up with uh, was released. So uh, we're going to be talking about that extensively. I mean, it's going to be most of the podcast, but um, yeah, there's a lot of things to discuss, and we're going to go into that uh, in a little more detail here in a second. Uh, Pro tours this week, and we're going to be talking about that. Our pro tour predictions, what we could see, what we're hoping to see, uh, what might be trending into the pro tour that remains uh, that we've seen so far. Uh, we have a goal fishing this week. I get to talk a little bit about my venture into the Pokemon TCG. Very brief uh, uh, <laughs> venture, but uh, it was interesting. And then we'll wrap things up with some fish mail. So uh, let's just get right to it. The commander ban list um, caused a lot of uh, controversy so far. Uh, they kind of merged two ban lists together. And, um, you know, a lot of different things have been going on. Are, they ado- are people adopting it, not adopting it? Uh, who knows? Uh, so I wanted to get your guys' reaction. Let's start with you, Richard, since you're back. So the shocking announcement was originally uh, 1v1 Commander Leagues were coming. Right, We knew this, and they released a ban list for it. It was not the uh, dual Commander ban list, but their own ban list. And then they casually threw in that they were merging the multiplayer and 1v1 ban lists. And their ban list skewed heavily towards 1v1 play, cards like Sol Ring, uh, our band and basically the whole community was in an uproar no one understood why this was happening you know having to deal 120 points of damage across three opponents is vastly different than killing one person at 40 or even 30 and uh, wizards backtracked on it a couple days later they decided to separate the list again uh, and by july 5th we're gonna have separate lists for multiplayer and 1v1 so my initial reaction is WTF, you know, it, tinfoil hat, like they knew this was going to happen. And this is their way of distancing themselves from the rules committee without looking bad because there is no one in their right mind who would think that multiplayer and 1v1 should have the same bandwidth. Like I, I, I cannot fathom why this was like, okay, other than the fact that they knew this was going to cause a controversy they were going to pat themselves on the back and say, look, we listened to the community, and now we have a separate ban list, and then they have their own ban list now, right? Now they're separated from the rules committee. And if people ask why, you can say, well, Moto players demanded it, right? There was a huge uproar, and they don't look like the bad guys anymore. So, so that's my tinfoil hat theory, because otherwise, I, I just cannot imagine people at Wizards playing Commander and thinking... 1v1 and multiplayer are the same thing with the same band lists. Interesting. Seth, what do you think? Oh, I, it seems like every <laughs> single podcast, we are talking about how Wizards makes some insane announcement and then walks it back a couple days later. That's been like the motif of this month of podcasts. And they, they did it again. And I, I too, don't understand what they were thinking. I had a uh, maybe more jaded take than Richard that possibly Moto wanted to kill multiplayer because it's it doesn't make them any money. They have to support the four player screen and uh, make sure the cards sort of work and all that stuff for a format that they literally can't monetize at all. It doesn't sell packs. It doesn't run tournaments. They just got rid of Two-Headed Giant like a year ago, right when Oath of the Gatewatch, which somehow managed to be a Two-Headed Giant-focused set. As soon as that released, instead of making sure Oath of the Gatewatch cards worked, they just got rid of Two-Headed Giant. So this is the only multiplayer format that's really left on Magic Online is kind of casual commander. And the way the ban list come out, uh, came out, it made me think that 
possibly they were just trying to make multiplayer go away because the ban list while it was probably fine for 1v1, I'm not a 1v1 expert, but just looking at it, it's probably reasonable. For multiplayer, it would have been a disaster. Uh, Primeval Titans and World Fires and Upheavals and cards that like are clearly not fun and would make multiplayer like not even really playable were going to be legal. And then I don't know. So that was kind of my initial thought. Uh, I'm glad they walked it back. That was the biggest outcry from the community was you got to have two ban lists. Like that's the solution to this problem. So wizards did get there eventually. So I'm glad that we ended up in an okay place. But again, like we've been saying over and over again, the process was super clunky and the way we got to a probably good ending was not very pleasant. Yeah, that's, it's kind of funny. Like I, I am kind of, I mean, I've talked a lot about this, uh, with a lot of different folks over the weekend. Now, you know, talking with you, uh, you and Seth, or you and Richard, I- I'm kind of in the middle because Richard actually brought up a pretty good point, and I, I know it is kind of tinfoil hat, but I- you got to think sometimes. It's like, did they really do this and then just kind of walk it back so they n- ended up at- as a net positive? So with everything that's been going on lately, you you would think that. So I'm just kind of like in the middle I am with Seth here. I'm glad that we ended in a good spot because it's you. You really needed to have two two ban lists. I think that was the only thing that I had the issue with. Um, I had less of an issue of you know you know walking it back and getting it right the first time. Like I'm never in that camp of get it right the first time. Like if everyone you know gets everything right the first time, we'd have a lot less problems everywhere. But uh, <laughs> you know that's just kind of not realistic. They needed the two ban lists. It was, it's basically, when I read this, it was like, okay, uh, Legacy and Standard should pretty much have the same ban list. So, you know, that just does not work. Uh, they're two totally different formats, two totally different methods of playing. You know, it is the same premise, like you're, you're, you're playing EDH, but two totally different uh, formats. So I, I'm just kind of in the middle. I am glad that we ended up in a good spot. Uh, that is now so they're changing it. I think when Hour of Devastation is released, right? That's the kind of the time frame. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, but I mean, this kind of release something, walk it back kind of thing. I mean, I get it. Like you want to listen to the community, but it's like it always just kind of seems like this is a thing now. So I don't know uh, really what they can do. Maybe more surveys or something like that, or literally ask like people in the EDH community, not even just past Sheldon. I mean, you had a whole big community of one V one, uh, the, the, you know, the French committee that, you know, kind of created this format. They said they were working alongside them. So I don't understand how they couldn't just say, say, you know what? Okay. This is like clearly this ban list. And this is the kind of, uh, multiplayer ban list because they could have, they should have known at least working with the other committee that these are totally different formats. Yeah. I'm going to get, grilled for this i know people are gonna wail at me for not applauding wizards for listening to feedback but whoever cries the loudest apparently gets wizards attention now like literally like three days no data right we just had multitudes of people yelling at the top of their lungs and then wizards backtracks right and as seth alluded before this kind of happened with copycat as well and you know wizards had the had the fallback of you know we had two days of moto data Right. But, you know, just better planning. You know, you could have just grabbed 100 EDH players, surveyed them, and I bet you, you would have had the same results. Everyone would be saying, you know, why would you combine these lists? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You could have talked to the rules committee. You could have did this all in advance. So when you flip flop decisions in less than a week, to me, that's just poor planning and poor execution. And I, I don't know that we should be applauding Wizards just because they ended up at our opinion. Right, because maybe their opinion was correct, right? But but where was the data? Where where was anything? Right, like apparently just a couple Reddit threads and angry Twitter posts is enough to reverse their decision. So it makes me like very dubious, and it makes me really fall on that train that they knew exactly what they were doing, and this is you know the outcome they wanted. So my question for you guys: Is it better to have Wizards control the multiplayer rules list or have it fall on the rules committee? Because that is a very controversial topic. It is. Uh, as um, we found out. Yeah. Uh, just one quick point. I mean, I, I really do get what you're saying, Richard. And um, I don't know. I mean, you're right on this specific, on certain specific things, they, they, they shouldn't be applauded, even if they kind of do end up in the right spot. But 
I gotta tell you, I, I think Wizards, you know, even in the general gaming community, does a lot uh, and, and, and pushes a little bit further to keep the community happy, even if that does kind of cater to people screaming on Twitter and Reddit. So, I mean, I just see a lot of different things going on in the gaming community. You know, you do, you have the exact same thing, nothing ever gets changed, and then, you know, people just walk away. So, I can't knock them all the time. I'm not going to agree with them all the time, but I'm not going to always, like, just say, oh, you know, this is bad, even if you did kind of backtrack. The problem is it's only the Reddit community or the Twitter sure. community or the YouTube community. Uh, community. What about all of the other communities that, yeah, yeah. you know, you, you cannot get your voice heard in two days. They could not have gone to local game stores and gotten opinions. <laughs> right? And if we are to believe wizards yep. that, you know, the proportion of people on Reddit and YouTube is very small, then you, you're just listening to a vocal minority, which is a bit worrisome. But I mean... At least it's at least they did listen and, and something did happen. But again, it's very convenient that it fits my narrative this time, so I'm happy. Right. But what if I was not <laughs> right. you know, what if I yeah. was against this, right? Then, you know, I'd be like, what what WTF, right? But yeah. in this case, the outcome looks good, so we're okay with it. Absolutely right. Uh Seth, you can you can jump in and I'll actually answer the, the question you posed, Richard. So go ahead, Seth. I think that with Wizards supporting Commander now, it makes sense to have the banned and restricted list be in-house. I'm actually on board with that change. If this is some uh, crazy manipulative way of getting there, like uh, Richard kind of suggested with the tinfoil hat theory, I I wouldn't be very happy with that. That's a, a pretty underhanded way to go about it, if that is what's happening. But I think that it would be good. I have always had some issues with how the commander bannings are handled. And we kind of talked about this, I think last week, Chaz, we, uh, or at least me and you talked off the podcast about how it's just a really weird system to have one somewhat insulated playgroup making bannings for the entire community based on what happens in their playgroup. So it seems like it would be better to have wizards running the running the banned and restricted list. Uh, but I know that not everyone agrees with that. The, the counter argument is that that's not what commander is supposed to be. And wizards should keep their hands off of it because this is a community created and driven format. But at this point, there's commander decks and wizards is monetizing this format. And I think if wizards is going to be uh, printing products in monetizing this format, then it's probably best to have them be running the BNR list as well. Yeah, I, yeah, we did talk about this to some length, Seth. And uh, I mean, you're right. It, if anything, I just feel like so. You know, when I first started getting into Commander, and you know, you know, Sheldon and the and the committee, and, and you know, all props to them. You know, for making this and and kind of running with it. I, I think per, I think it's one of the things that have long-term save magic. That's just me, uh, my humble opinion. Um, but it kind of feels like if everything's supposed to be in-house, then why was everyone kind of going along with that ban list to begin with? And now it just kind of seems like everyone's fractured because everyone's like, oh, you know, Sheldon and the committee does, you know, this. And, you know, while, it, you know, you're not the first one to bring it up, Seth. I mean, they were like, oh, you know, the, you have like a group of like 10 people and someone playing their like Feldegriff EDH deck in the in the committee wants their, uh, you know, Protean Hulk back. Like, that's pretty much how it gets unbanned. Like, I don't know if it's that underhanded, but, uh, I mean, you know, you, we don't have, like, a not, not that I've seen, a clear system. So there's been a lot of people that have pushed back against uh, the, the rules committee. Um, and if everything's supposed to be, like, their own kind of in-house, like, you know, agreed upon um, ban list, then, like, what what's really the difference? I... I it always just seems to me that everyone went back to uh, to Sheldon's committee, even though they say, oh, you know, a lot of different play groups have a lot of different things. Like, yeah, okay, but that's still probably a small mi- uh, you know, minority of the overall EDH community. I feel like uh, this is now going to create a huge riff, even more so than before, because now you'll have folks still sticking with the Sheldon uh, and, his, and his committee's uh, ban list, and you may have people that say, you know what? I actually kind of agree with Wizards of the Coast. I'm going with their ban list. So, uh, you know, when you sit down for a table of magic and you're like, all right, so which ban list are we using? I have, like, uh, Soul Ring in my deck, so I've got to take it out. Don't have any cards to replace it with on my person. You know, I, I think it's just going to add a lot, of, a lot of confusion. So, to wrap things, you know, all up, I think eventually... 
people are going to start gravitating towards the Wizards of the Coast uh, band list. That's just me. I feel like once they have like an official stamp on it, it doesn't really matter if it's good or bad. I, I feel you know it it might take some time, but it's going to definitely get towards uh, people just start gravitating to the Wizards band list. I, I just think that's how it goes. And I should point out here that part of their second announcement, they did say that they're going to try to keep the Magic Online casual or multiplayer list uh, as much as they can to match the official commander rules and ban list for multiplayer commander is published on mtgcommander.net. So it sounds like the multiplayer rules uh, may still at this point be kind of run by Sheldon and the rules committee, or at least it will mostly uh, adhere to their bandit restricted list. Yeah. So I, I agree with Chaz that eventually everyone will just take the Watsi list. Like if you show up at a Grand Prix and there's a commander side event, wouldn't you expect the official magic list to be used as opposed to some random list on a forum somewhere? So like just in terms of branding and stuff, I, I assume people will just use the official Wizards one because it comes from Wizards eventually. And logistically, 100%, it needs to be Wizards uh, control. Like for example, they released Commander 2017. They put Sol Rings in all of the decks and then the rules committee decides to ban Sol Ring. Like what are you going to do with all these products now, right? So logistically, they can't do this. What if the... Rules Committee decides Brea is overpowered. Are you really going to ban out, you know, the 2016 decks? It, it just doesn't work. It, they have to kind of have inside knowledge with R&D and have some agreement on, you know, what the power level should be and whatnot. So long-term, Wizards definitely needs to take over it. And the best solution would probably be, you know, hire a couple of the Rules Committee people to join Wizards and work on, you know, the actual ban list for multiplayer and they can be the ones that help test the format and whatnot. So you can get the best of both worlds in that sense, but Wizards definitely needs it because you don't want their new shiny cards from their new products just being randomly banned, right? You don't Absolutely. want True Name Nemesis or something. Yep. Well, True Name Nemesis is actually balanced, but you know, some unbalanced <laughs> right, card yeah. commander being released and being banned immediately, right? You, you need the rules committee or the, the people controlling the ban list to be aware of what's in the new products. Absolutely. The other benefit is Wizards, because of Magic Online, actually can have a meaningful data set on Commander, which I don't think you can get in the paper world. Like Unlike tournament formats, where you have sites like MTG Goldfish and other uh, decklist sites that keep track of the metagame and all this, you don't really have that for Commander in the same way. But Wizards has that data thanks to being able to collect every single match that's played on Magic Online. So it seems like some sort of combination, like Richard was saying, maybe having some of the Rules Committee people uh, be hired or be part of it, but also having access to a meaningful data set with thousands of games hundreds of thousands of games rather than our weekly commander meetup is going to determine everything for everyone would be yeah. a benefit in the long run too absolutely and, and it we've to, to some of your points there we've already seen that happen um and, and yeah i i do believe they should firmly work in tandem uh you know as most they can to kind of keep things uh consistent you know and and you know, take that ban list that they have now, you know, maybe it, it gets changed a little bit, but it's overall consistent. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's absolutely what Richard said. The logistics has to work that way because we've actually seen it before. I think it was Commander. What was the one with the round of like Aloro and uh, the, the blinking one? Was that 14? 2014? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, and like four out of five generals were banned within like, you know, not even a few months later. And you're basically, that's like, four out of five useless commander products. So I, I get exactly where Richard is coming from. You know, if 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 Watsy, you know, kind of takes control of this and has that they're they're not gonna be releasing those kind of cards where they're just gonna be, you know, they you know, they all talk about it and then the cards get released and they don't have to worry about, you know, eight out of nine cards or you know, nine out of ten cards being banned or like three out of the four generals being banned. So they kind of circumvent that issue because it didn't really feel like they were working well. You know, they were working together. Yes, they acknowledge Commander, but the it's it just seemed like Watsi was kind of doing its own thing. I think this way, if Watsi takes it all in house and is working with everyone, like they did with the one V one uh commander, um 
you know, committee. They should be doing that with Commander, and you, you'll find a little bit, um, you know, I think a little bit more consistency there. But uh, you're absolutely right, Seth. I think with this data now, um, you know, when you're when you have something like EDH Rec and it's a great tool and you see all these decks, that's great. But, you know, the only other thing you had was like MTG Top 8 or, or Goldfish where you're tracking like 1v1 Commander list. Now if you open that up to everything, it, it can it can lead to more meaningful decisions. So to end on a constructive note, all I really want for Magic Online is freeform Commander where you can start set your starting life total. So no man list. And that way you can play any type of commander you want. It doesn't matter what the ban list is. You know, if you have a play group, you want to play powered commander, throw in that black lotus, right? If you want to play tiny leaders, go ahead and change that life total, right? Like you can play all of these things. <laughs> yeah. If you just had free form commander. And I think that really embodies the spirit of magic, right? Because commander was basically, let me play with all of my leftover cards and set up some house rules. Uh, and, you know, freeform commander lets you do that, right? It lets you play uh, whatever you want without being kind of imposed on by the rules committee, by wizards or whatever, right? So having that extra format, I think, would be very helpful. I do too. Um, I I got what, you know, I wanted. I, I think, you know, people are very happy. I'm very happy at the end result of them splitting up the 1v1 commander and, and the, the normal, you know, general multiplayer commander can't wait to for those leagues to start i know you're excited too seth because uh to me it's a big deal you know people can dismiss it and say oh it's not that big but it, i mean it's a pretty big 1v1 was a pretty big deal i mean if you looked at some of the the, the events that were going on i mean there were a, a large some large attendance uh you know tournaments going on you know 300 plus people uh, at some of them, at these huge 1v1 uh, tournaments held over uh, in, in Europe. Um, so I'm really happy. And if they they need to do so, they needed to do something because not seeing a lot of those partner commanders on there uh, kind of made me upset because that stuff needs to go. So glad uh, this is happening. Really excited for the leagues. Can't wait for the, to jump in there. Um, all right, uh, on to the Pro Tour predictions. We got Pro Tour um, in Nashville. Uh, so I'm so happy it's on a time zone that, <laughs> that that speaks to me that I don't have to be up at like ungodly hours or really just weird hours in general. Uh, so Richard and Seth, we've seen some some data for standard thus far. How do you feel about it going into the pro tour? What would you like to see remain? What do you what would you like to see change? Or is there something that um, you know, we haven't seen yet that you think will show up at the Pro Tour. Richard? I got nothing for you guys. <laughs> oh. I, I'm, I'm torn whether Mardu Vehicle is going to be a deck or not. Can you really... Okay. Can, can you really just get rid of Mardu Vehicles or will it still be dominant? I, I suspect we'll see more new decks, but I, I, I have a feeling we're just going to see a ton of Mardu Vehicles on day one. Now, whether or not they actually make the cut into day two is the question. But the deck just seems so solid, like... You know, if the other deck stumbles, then you win, right? That that seems like a good plan. It's kind of like playing the red deck wins of the format, except this red deck wins is super resilient and can go long. So I have a hard time thinking, like, what would displace this deck or what would make this deck just totally go away? And I can't really think of anything. So I don't really have any predictions other than I just hope the matches are entertaining and we see a lot of new decks. But I suspect we'll still see a ton of Mardu Vehicles. All right, Seth, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, I think Mardu Vehicles will be a deck, but I I don't expect it to be the big winner of the Pro Tour. It might be the most played deck on day one, but I have really high hopes and think that the deck is beatable. I think it'll be the most played just because it's kind of the default deck. And it's easy to forget that while the focus of coverage is on the teams and this specific group of pro players, that's like a hundred of the 300 some players that'll be there. And if you're in the, the other group that isn't on one of the big teams and uh, one of the major focal points of coverage, Martyr Vehicles is a pretty easy deck to pick up uh, and just to play, you know, it's good. Maybe you couldn't take two weeks off of work to try to break the format with every new deck. So I think it will be heavily played, but I'm really hopeful that the big teams will come up with something new and spicy and different. I also think that Teamer Etherworks or a Etherwork deck 
it might be the sleeper choice to end up being one of the best decks. Like we, it's easy to forget how dominant the deck was back at Pro Tour Kaladesh. And then it kind of got uh, beaten down by the changes in the format, the banning of Emrakul and all that kind of stuff. But with Copycat gone and just Mardu vehicles around, I think there's a chance that we see that rise up and be one of the big stories of the Pro Tour. All right. So what about when the teams show up with like even better Mardu vehicles? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much better you can make the deck. I think Mardu <laughs> is what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, um, so really quick question, Richard. Uh, when is is this you know metagame on uh, on the site you know current? Like, did you set it to when? Uh, Yep, KLD I, dropper. Pe- oh, so this I is had to, absolutely. I had to remove all the uh, all the copycats. <laughs> I had to go get uh, gushed and probe. I'm like, oh, this this DNR announcement. Why? <laughs> 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 Got to purge all of those cards. Yeah. So all of the decks on the site. Yeah. Sweet. Um, so what we're looking at is 25% Mardu, and the next three decks are at nine, eight, and eight. But um, I- I'm kind of leaning towards towards what Seth said. I, I think Mardu Vehicles is just the safe pick. It's been the safe pick, um, and I don't think any of these other lists are very optimized uh, yet. You know, they're they're getting there. It-, it takes a little bit of time, as we alluded to last week, Seth. Uh, but I still don't feel like Mardu Vehicles has shown me that it's far and away the best deck over any of these others. Uh, you know. And that it's not even close. Like, yes, it's very strong. Uh, it didn't even have to incorporate many of the, you know new cards, like barely any. Uh, but I, I I am seeing a change in this you know Mardu vehicles list uh, that we didn't see before. That um, I'm seeing a big change in how it plays uh, after game one. It kind of starts incorporating like this very mid rangey. Like, even more so before. I mean, we're starting to see, like, Sorngrim Nemesis, a lot of Nahiri, and then just, like, all these, like, kind of very high top-end uh, cards. So it almost just turns into a mid-range list that can still just beat you down with Gideon and Heart of Kieran. Uh, so that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. That's kind of the new thing that I've been seeing. Uh, maybe it's not that new, but uh, I haven't seen the, it do it like this before. Um but I'm gonna have to agree with Seth. I, I do think the Aetherworks lists are like just right there. Like they're really strong. Uh, they're they're getting a lot of play now. Uh, they're seeing a lot of play now, and I think they're kind of incorporating a lot of different new tech that can go even further uh, into the Pro Tour. Like I'm starting to see these Bounty of the Luxa, Luxa, Luxa. I don't know. Uh, start getting incorporated into this list, and it's been surprisingly effective. Um, I don't know if you saw the same, Richard or Seth, but uh, it really smooths out your draws. It allows you, I mean, at, at the end of the game, um, you know, if you can't Aether works out like your large top-end creature, uh, like Ulamog, you can actually hard cast it because of Bounty, and uh, it actually makes uh, additional copies of Bounty pretty good. I mean, you're drawing like two cards a turn or ramping six mana, so it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it does seem pretty sweet, and it gives you a way you can uh, naturally hardcast your Ulamogs if things go wrong, because I think you do have to contend with, like, Dispossess now, which is a pretty good answer, good sideboard cards, the control decks with counter spells, but being able to use Bounty just to ramp into your Ulamog on a fairly early turn seems like a pretty sweet backup plan. Yep, and uh, so we're still seeing Black Green Delirium. I, I think it's going to go, you know, full mid-range mode. It's starting to go that way anyway. Um, I-, I think it has a pretty good game against uh, vehicles. It has a lot of removal, kind of can um, go the distance with their threats with Grim Flare. It-, it has some copies of Manglehorn, might want to push that up in the main deck if it's, like, everywhere, uh, expecting to be everywhere at the Pro Tour. Uh, Ishkana is gaining a lot of popularity again because it just, you know, kind of, dumps a lot of creatures onto the board that can block the uh, heart of Kieran and just gum up the work. So I think there's just a lot of things that aren't there yet. And I think that's why we're seeing this disparity, but uh, I'm seeing a lot of different good things happen. Like there's two ways to build the, the black green list though. I do think it's going to go the way of like um, the mid range, but you know, people are making a strong case for the, the energy list as well. And um you know, bringing up this point again that we talked about last week, Seth, that these, like, 
torrential gear hulk lists i think are going to have to go one way or another are they going the full glimmer to genius are they going to start going more of the way of pull to tomorrow um how their spell package is going to end up uh breaking down at the pro tour do they go any kind of copies of dynavolt tower do they go zero dynavolt tower so there's a lot of different ways you can even go with that that i don't think is optimized and then I'm just hoping the zombies list sticks around because I love watching the zombies list. It's really fun. I mean, I think that's some of the exciting stuff is hopefully coming out of this weekend, even if we end up with Mardu being the best deck, hopefully we learn what the best green black deck is. Is it better to be the Delirium Ishkana plan or the more aggressive energy plan? What's the right way to build a control deck? What's the best colors of a control deck? And we have that same question really with Etherworks Marvel. We see this Bant list that's been kind of coming up instead of Teamer. Uh, what's the best zombie deck? Are you mono black? Are you white black or a graveyard based maybe uh, incorporating a merge strategy so even if we end up with mardu vehicles being the best deck i think it's going to be a really interesting tournament because so many of the other decks have major questions and people are still trying to figure out the right way forward and they all seem to have potential to be tier decks uh the marvel decks a control deck the delirium decks the zombie decks but we're just trying to figure out the right way to build them and hopefully we come out of the pro tour with if not the full picture at least a much clearer picture of the best build of these archetypes by the way people are very excited about zombies because i've been selling a ton of zombie tokens on the mtg push merch store <laughs> and i'm like why, why are people just buying like 20 zombies and then i looked at the results i'm like oh oh there's a real zombie deck now i see yeah so uh from a selfish perspective i hope zombies uh, wins the pro tour <laughs> But seriously, what's one card you guys want to see break out at the Pro Tour? Ooh. Uh, I, I had a couple, but if I had to narrow it down to one, hmm. I'm going to let you go first, Seth, because I, I'm going to have to just make my choice in a second here. Hard. Uh, all right. I'm going to go with new perspectives. So there's been this crazy new perspectives combo deck running around that can win from being tapped out on on turn six you just cast your new perspectives you're completely tapped out and you win the game that turn so i would like to see that or paradox engine i root for that every pro tour it still hasn't <laughs> happened but maybe this is the one for paradox engine so i'm hoping for some kind of off the wall combo deck that we haven't really seen break out yet sweet um, I'm going with one of the gods. Uh, I know Ronas is already pretty sweet. I don't actually care which one it is at this point, so I'm not, I'm gonna be kind of uh, you know, non-biased there. Uh, I would love to see Bantu. I think Seth and I, you both kind of have a soft spot for Bantu and and want to see it be good. Uh, so yeah, and then like my one B is Vizier of the Menagerie because I know it kind of like screams like a just an EDH only card, but. Man, it can do some crazy stuff. I don't know if you've seen uh, Todd Stevens uh, streaming uh, recently, but he was trying it out in Modern, and it was like doing some pretty crazy stuff even in in Modern. So I think like I just want like a thirty creature, full on monsters list with Vizier of the Menagerie. I think that would be like really sweet. Uh, I should have went second because Chaz stole my answer. I just oh. want to see any god. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're the face cards of the new set. And it's a shame that the gods kind of suck, right? Like, they're gods. They should be good. So just any god. Uh, Hazaret, maybe? I don't know. Just any god. Just just show up and, like, do something useful. And I'll call it a victory. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Hey, Ronas is slipping in there as, like, a two of. He's keeping it... It's keeping it... Uh... No, we, we need a four of. We, we need right. a four of, like, okay. focus of the deck, not this card 74 and 75 in my deck that uh, I'm just throwing in <laughs> because I invested deep and I, I, I want to go on camera and spike my rotuses. No, no. That's yeah. the essential theme of your deck. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so wrap it up again. I'm with Seth here. Uh, even if Martyr Vehicles ends up being you know, still the thing going forward, I, I think this meta is better off without Copycat and has shown that you know, there's still like four. Now there's like four or five pretty sweet deck lists that you can choose from, and it's not pretty much just an auto loss. Like it's not just coming down to a two deck standard. And you know, 
there, there's definitely options, viable options out there. So there's already four or five that we've seen, you know, even six, you know, we're pushing like six lists. Even if that gets knocked down to like three or four, you know, four, I think that's pretty much still a win. Um, so yeah, uh, do you want to do my goldfishing or fish mail first? Uh, let's go goldfishing. All right, let's go goldfishing. So over the weekend, uh, I think, uh, you know, folks have seen me tweeted out that, I finally have played in paper and the the Pokemon TCG, uh, the the online one. Uh, So yeah, the Pokemon TCG. Finally played it, collected it a lot when I was a kid, never actually played the game. I didn't actually even know how to play the game. I was just collecting the cards. I know that sounds weird, but uh, yeah, never actually played it. And I actually enjoyed myself. Um, Didn't get to play for long, so obviously didn't really know too much of what I was doing, but... Uh, I think the big moral victory here is uh, I don't pull absolute trash every single time. So, um, you know, maybe this is something I continue to do in the future because it just seems like these uh, sweet GX cards uh, speak to me. And they and I, and I just apparently open them where I've done, like, a pre-release, uh, plenty of drafts, and have just not been... Still have not seen an invocation in uh, in person. Have never seen anyone pull it in any of my drafts. So, you know, it's. It, I think Pokemon's fun. And um, I know, Seth, you're going to be defensive on this one, but this is the big takeaway for me, too, is you can't convince me that uh, Moto can, can be as good as, like, the Pokemon uh, TCG. Now, n- n- let me finish. It, I just feel it's a better way to bridge paper... And, and digital, uh, I think a little bit easier. You know, you get the codes in your packs, you redeem them online, it makes it a little bit easier. You're not spending, you know, cost, the literal same cost that you're spending in paper onto Moto. I know it's a pipe dream, it's never going to happen, but I'm just saying I think it's a little bit more successful than, um, you know, other card games have been doing. Doesn't look like it came straight out of 1998. Uh, it looks great. And I think it was a lot easier for me to jump in and play, and then when you open up paper stuff, you kind of get a little bit of uh, uh, an additional benefit for playing online with the codes. Uh, I just feel it's like a better bridge for the for the two uh, you know parts of the game, digital and paper. And I don't really think I'm going to be able to get convinced otherwise because, I mean, Moto's great, but it's just you know it's like literally doubly spending on your collection at some at most points. It's like I get there's a little bit of a reduction, but I feel this is the better way to go, and we talked about this a little bit on uh, off uh, before the uh, podcast. So you can you can guys can chime in. I mean, I don't disagree with you. Would Moto be better and uh, have more players and so forth if Wizards gave away a free pack on Magic Online every time you bought a pack in paper? Probably it would probably uh, be better. Definitely be cheaper. Uh, the problem is with Magic Online that people sometimes forget, I think, is that it came so early, way before anyone else was doing this. So they built the whole game based on the idea that they had to convince the public and convince players to spend money on digital products. Because that wasn't happening when Moto first came out. It was developed in the late 90s, came out, I think, 2003. This was before it was common, before we were so comfortable with spending money on digital objects. So Wizards is just kind of like locked into their model, which is kind of, I guess, their punishment for being so early and being one of the first people to do this. And they just, they can't make Moto, I guess, as good as it can be because they have this whole history that's tied to it. And I think they make a lot of money with their current model is the other thing. Like they can make yeah. it cheaper, but they don't have much incentive to do make a massive change <laughs> yeah, because right. they make tons of money doing it this way. So yeah, I obviously I play both games and I, I agree with everything that's being said and we've discussed it to death before, but uh, there's one thing. So uh, Seth brought up the point that for legacy reasons, it, it used to cost a lot, but uh, Blizzard did this with Diablo 3 with the auction house. Uh, when they first released Diablo 3, you could buy and sell things with real money. So when you, you know, got your awesome sword or whatever, it was $250. And after a while, they said the game became, you know, the game is basically just sitting at the auction house and buying and selling instead of slaying monsters and collecting loot. So they decided to axe the auction house, which is basically wiping your quote unquote collection to $0. Because previously, every armor you owned, uh, every sword you owned, 
theoretically was worth something. So you can always just sell it and make some money. But they made them not tradable anymore, which means they basically go to zero. So there is precedent for that. And I, I think Wizards would be better served if they followed the League of Legends model or kind of the Hearthstone model where make your online game free to play, but charge through the roof for non-essential cosmetics. You know, have special tokens, have special card backs, have special play mats, have, you know, Noah Bradley do some super exclusive magic online play mat, right? And sell that thing. I think you'd get a lot more players just paying money through the roof for those things uh, instead of, you know, actual cards. Because as you increase your player base, you're just going to get rich people who then don't mind spending $1,000 on foiling out their deck. Uh, by the way, make foils look legitimate as well. <laughs> so like thing, things like that, because, you know, League of Legends is one of the biggest games and it's free. It's literally free and it's literally funded by people buying non-essential skins just to look good, right? Like that's it. That's the whole yeah. game, right? Like I, I think Wizards would be better served following that, but that's kind of, my guess is too new and scary for them. Like I can't <laughs> imagine them going to their board of directors and saying, look, we're making hundreds of millions of dollars charging for cards. We're going to bring that to zero and sell play bets. <laughs> like, I can't see them convincing uh, that's, anyone. That's a veto. <laughs> but I, I think, like, when you just watch people play Hearthstone and people are trying to, like, gold out their decks or whatever, right? It's just, like, non-essential. You see those Reddit threads where people foil out their legacy decks, right? Like, that's a lot of money. And, you know, that's worth, like, 100 players or something, right? So, so I don't know. I, I think that would be more successful, but... I agree with Chaz, like Pokemon is just really easy to get into and it's really cheap, especially when you compare it to Magic. Yeah, uh, you know, and I get it. I, I get all the, you know, discussions. Obviously, you know, it is what it is. And I agree with you, Seth. I mean, it's it just kind of unfortunate, but it's, you know, a thing that is going to remain a thing. Um, again, I just, I don't think, um, you know, I could be convinced. I, I think this is... I think this is just a better way to bridge the two uh, mediums. And, um, you know, while I, you know, I, I did enjoy myself. So just going back to the play style, I, I think it was interesting. Like, uh, it kind of is like the video game. It's kind of like what I was used to. It's it's very similar. Um, it was it was enjoyable. But, I mean, let's just face it. It's it's not magic. Uh, I, I thought magic, like, very vastly eclipsed. Uh, what I, I like sitting down and, and playing in terms of a card game, but it was enjoyable. I, I just think the real main thing here is that someone who has never been exposed, you know, you know, you can get into this game much easier, and just the expectation's not there when, you know, someone wants to get into Magic, let's just say they don't even want to grind GPs, or they don't want to, like, play Standard, they just want to build, like, an EDH list or something like that, or maybe start getting into Popper, that's probably the best, you know, way to get them into this, but... You know, and then you're like, oh, yeah, like, to build, like, a pretty good EDH list, it's, like, a few hundred bucks. And, you know, I get you could get that for, for Pokemon, and, and maybe they're, you know, Wizards kind of catching up to this, but then they release those tins and basically, like, slash the card prices in half, and it's like, and I, you're, you're still selling product. And that's that's only semi-true. Like, if you want to play Popper, you want to play Commander... Those formats are really cheap on yeah. Magic Online because there's not demand for casual cards and those kind of cards. So sure. it's not a few hundred dollars to, build to, to, to do that. But if you want to play competitively, it is expensive. I, I will grant that. I want to ask you, though, back to Pokemon itself. Uh, my experience with other games is mostly Hearthstone. And for me, Hearthstone, okay. I get into it i'll play it a lot for maybe a week and then i won't play it for like a month or two <laughs> that's, months that's how i play yeah, is that's exactly is, how i play is that how pokemon would be for you guys like does it have this for me i haven't found another game that has this staying power where i can play it day after day like i can magic yes yeah for me definitely not like this would be a thing that you know kind of break it up and then you don't play it for a little while and then i mean Richard, you know, kind of brings up the point, and it's such a great point because it's true. It's just so cheap, you can kind of just get back into it whenever you want to. Yeah, it's it's really cheap, and I find myself playing Pokemon a lot longer because, you know, I build a deck online, say it costs 50 bucks, play it for two weeks, get bored, and then for another, like, four bucks, I build the second tier one deck, and then for another four bucks, I build another tier one deck, whereas <laughs> with Magic Online, you, you gotta be pretty rich to uh, do this. So I think 
that is enough in itself, and there's two formats. But I, I, I don't know. It's it's not as deep as Magic, but it's not as simple as Hearthstone, I don't think. But I haven't played Hearthstone in a while, so maybe that statement is not accurate. Uh, one thing I did want to touch on before we leave this, uh, I don't want to turn this into a Pokemon podcast, but uh, Pokemon makes a really good job, uh, does a really good job making you feel like a winner when you buy when you open packs, because uh, in Magic, a mythic and a rare look essentially the same, right? The the little thing that differentiates it is a little you know red icon as opposed to a gold icon, whereas with Pokemon you have like full art supporters. You have GXs, you have super rares, secret rares, whatever, the gold cards, the silver cards. So everything looks like a masterpiece, right? There, there's clearly something special and different about uh, the, the higher rarity cards in Pokemon, which you don't really get in Magic unless you open a masterpiece. So just changing like the borders of Mythics or something would make uh, opening packs feel much more exciting to kind of the casual Magic player, in my opinion. Yeah, that's exactly right, Richard. I mean, I really, and not like kind of like, you know, pushing like, you know, I I mean, I really did, it didn't feel like, you're exactly right, like it didn't feel like every pack I'm just opening legit like, you know, draft trash, you know, like every pack I was opening there was an expectation that, you know, I'm going to get something pretty cool and, um, you know, while it was probably improbable, like not very statistically likely that this would happen, but in a few packs, I mean, it just does feel like you're pulling some interesting stuff. Maybe they, I mean, I don't ever remember this back uh, when I used to play, but now it's like you're pulling something out of almost every single pack where it's like exactly like you said, it's magic, it's like invocation or you know like a, a dollar rare or something yeah like, that. like just imagine and, if instead of foil cards that you get a full art foil yeah then all of a sudden like your you know crap common looks like so cool right and it looks way better than foil because it's actually alternate art or full framed or whatever and pokemon kind of does stuff like that which makes you feel like a winner even you know even though if you actually check the ev and the price like you're you're a loser <laughs> but uh, you feel much better <laughs> yeah. it looks cool yes. and it looks unique right and, and that's because there's so many it's exactly like you said richard and just to kind of move want to move things along it's exactly like you said because there's so many different things you can hit in one pack like you have the full art stuff or there's just the gx stuff or a gx frameless stuff or just a regular you know foil rare or reverse hollow there's like so many different things you can open up in a pack so it's you're exactly right you do feel like a winner for opening something even though you know you might have even lost on the pack anyway chaz has been playing pokemon secretly because he knows way too many pokemon <laughs> for someone that just played a pre-release <laughs> hey i play the game so I, I i know that much all right that that ends our uh our pokemon uh podcast <laughs> what that decedui <laughs> Oh man, I can't pronounce like half of the Pokemon names. Like, <laughs> Me either. Outside of Gen One and Two, of like, what are these? Although like- I, I, I pulled, I was like Tapu Lele, and I was like, all right, sweet. And then I was like, that's like a thirty-five dollar card. And I'm like, all right, cool. at least you played Sun and Moon, <laughs> so you actually know the new card. Yes. I'm like, what, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> all right, fish mail. Let's get through it. Uh, Richard, take it away. All right, if you have questions for us, send them to at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MDGFishMail on Twitter, and we'll get to your questions on air. From Epic Pug, if Wizards ask you to design a new commander for the Knights Tribe, what colors slash abilities would you give the commander? Ooh. Isn't there a Lord, like, Knight Exemplar or something like that? There's a couple. There the uh, uh, Cedar Kondo uh, I played on oh, Commander yeah, Clash. Oh, yeah, Cedar Kondo. I, think, uh, I totally he's... forgot about that. I think you want white-black. Uh, to me, those are the most night colors. I guess green, maybe Abzan, but I think a really cool mechanic would be uh, creatures you control with first strike have double strike. Oh, that would mm. be so good. Interesting. Wouldn't that be a cool take? Yeah, a white black one would actually be first strike. Yeah, would would be pretty traditional, Seth, because you had like white knight and black knight, and a lot of them like uh, the paladins and from the seventh edition. Uh, like Western Paladin, Eastern Paladin. That was all pretty cool. Uh, are they knights? I can't even remember if they're knights. Those are knights, yeah. 
There's a ton of knights because I actually added every knight to my deck, and then I had to cut like 300 cards. Like a lot of things surprisingly knights in Magic history. I didn't know if it was one of those like you know back then where it's just like summon creature like something like that, but I don't think we were. I think that was a little after that, but yeah, I think white black would be cool. I don't know what. I'll just go with sets ability. <laughs> I think like a mobilize ability, like pay four Ooh. mana, make a knight. Or I, I like Seth's idea, like all your creatures with first strike get flying, or all your knights get flanking in addition <laughs> to what they have, or like double flanking or triple flanking. <laughs> That'd be pretty sweet. Uh, Cedar Condo's ability is pretty good, which is creatures with power more than two can't block or something like that. Basically makes your weenie creatures unblockable. So I think there's actually a lot of cool knight mechanics, and I wish they uh, focused on knights a bit more. Uh, may- maybe we'll get knights in the new tribal decks. I don't know. Uh, next question. Danham85. What is your favorite type of magic accessory, or what is your most unique magic accessory? Hmm. I've never been much of an accessory collector, but I do have, and I've always kept for some reason, a bunch of really old binders. Back when Magic first came out, Wizards released a series of official binders, some of them uh, for set releases, like uh, 4th edition, 5th edition, a couple of just random ones, but they have really cool old art, and I think they were done by Ultra Pro still. I think this was back when Wizards first started uh, working with them, so over the course of like buying collections and stuff i built up a pretty sweet collection of binders from like 1994 to like 1998 the first uh, the first years and they're pretty neat looking i i think i have one of those uh, one of those old school like rule books that they don't really hand out anymore so they're somewhere i don't know i think i have a couple but i've <laughs> you always use that as an accessory you like hold on let me consult <laughs> Yeah, hold on. Let me consult the 1998 rule book for uh, Turns you know, out you trample. got burnt to death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or the old school like death touch or something like that where it's like you can't even regenerate your creature or something like that. Or the old school regenerate where you don't even know what it did. <laughs> so I have a really old Magic the Gathering messenger bag and it's like incredibly crappy quality but they gave it out at the very first packs. And Wizards was there, and I got one. And I don't use it because it's actually very poor. (laughs) It's it's like a reusable grocery, like, you know the material they make reusable grocery bags out of? It's like that, except it's like shaped as a messenger bag. But it's it's pretty cool, I just don't use it. Alright. Next question, from McQQ, best time to pick up Bola's full art lands. Do you think they'll be continued in Hour of Devastation? Oh. Did not think about that. They could be. Um, I think there's still a ways to go to, to wait. I mean, they're mostly pretty cheap already. Yeah. Maybe I, this was foils? Like, foils are dropping hard. I think if they're ever expensive, it's going to be a decent ways in the future. Like, a few years in the future. So I think as long as the set's standard legal, it definitely through the summer, why the set's still being opened, I wouldn't really worry about having to pick them up if anything they're going to probably drop in price as more boxes are open but once it gets to be i don't know next year this time then it might be time to pick yours up because there's a chance they end up being worth a dollar or two like five years down the road they do look really nice i really do enjoy them next question from the jester zero one two uh, would you ever consider making the podcast both audio and video it would be nice to see the interaction between you three so Chaz like has dial up. <laughs> you can barely support like <laughs> oh. an audio podcast. I love a video. Chaz, how, uh, how new is your modem? <laughs> I, well, I don't know if we can stream it, but um, we could certainly pre-record it. Uh, that should be fine. But There's then no, I'll have to. We can barely make I'll... audio work. How can we make video work? And plus, I don't, I, I don't know. And I don't want to have to wear pants, so no deal. What? <laughs> I don't want to have to wear pants, so no deal. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. No, no, it's all right. Um, but uh, yeah, I I think we've discussed it before. We're gonna try to we'll see if it can happen. Um, hopefully, maybe there's something I can do on my end to to kind of ease the uh, the terrible. <laughs> Go to McDonald's and use free Wi-Fi. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Um, so 
you know, if you see me repping the arches in the background, you know, uh, yeah. But uh, we're going to try to make it happen. I, I do think it would be pretty cool. Um, I, I'm going to see if I can invest into an actual, like, really good camera, like a 4K camera or something like that, so I don't have, like, really awful quality. Uh, because if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. It's not the camera, it's the internet, Jazz. <laughs> well, obviously, yeah. But uh, ma- that can change, too. I can see if there's other options. All right, but next question. really not much. Shanderson93, we got some mental misstep questions. Would it be less broken if it was the same effect, but two Phyrexian mana? Well, yeah, hey, probably. I, I, I mean, it'd be less, less broken, broken, but obviously. still broken. <laughs> yeah, it, it would still... Yeah. It would, so let me ask you this. What would the cutoff be? How much life would you have to pay for that to be a bad card? I think four life would make it pretty good. Wait, would, would it would still be pretty good, but not completely degenerate. So would you play it, it in Legacy no, it, Richard at four life? Probably. Yeah. Six at life? Six life? Probably. You'd play really? it any life. You'd play it at any life because of Death Shadow. Nin- 19 life. Okay, not 19. But even if it was like 15 life, like Death Shadow oh. players would be like, that's like, you know, they would be like, you you do your turn one play, mental misstep. I play Death Shadow. <laughs> I <Go>. win. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's like, true. Well, what it, about be good at any effect? That's true. What about for fair decks though? Like, what would it, what would your cutoff be if you weren't playing Death Shadow? Would fair, <sighs> would four life make it fair four, in that four sense? I would definitely yeah, play. four because four, most of the time you're not yeah. you're not dying in a race, and it's really like who can control the game. So four, even like six life, may, maybe like around six or eight, it becomes. So it needs too much. Like, like quad life and mana. Okay. Yeah. Especially in Legacy, because you don't have Shocklands, right? Like, for life, it's like nothing, right? That's that's true. And then, like, Vintage, like, yeah, I'll stop you from drawing three cards. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, right? I'll pay four life. Yeah. That's, that's true. It's kind of like greed or something. Like, how much life would you pay per card? Or, like, Bob, right? Like, usually you pay a lot. <laughs> Oh, I've yeah. definitely paid the full cost on some Sylvan libraries. That's for sure. I think I'm totally cool with that. Bob could <laughs> probably life two cards. Two. Sure, let's do it. Right? Yeah. I think Let's Bob have four per card. Let's do it. Bob would be played if it was you paid twice the mana cost. I think it would still be played and be really good. Yeah. All right. What would it be less degenerate or more degenerate if it was Stifle instead? So basically, uh, so, no, God, so God, no, hell, so definitely not. They're like turn one, fetch. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, so leave it the way it is. They way didn't need it. Yeah, because you, you can just stifle fetch lands. One yeah. more misstep question: What if it was just one blue mana? Would that card be playable? Yes, one, one blue mana counter convert <sighs> mana cost one. Because I don't I think, think so. in Magic, I think we. I don't think have it does. Misstep. I think it would be playable, but it would be a lot more balanced because now mm-hmm. you have to play a blue deck to, to right. do this. And you can play around a misstep now. Like, you can play something they misstep and then you daze them or something as opposed to misstep where it's free and you really can't play around it. Yeah. I but, think it's still I mean, be good. But... It's not like you really have to twist people's arm to play blue in Legacy Richard. Come on. <laughs> I'm just saying everyone, <laughs> everyone can play misstep in Vintage, right? Well, yeah, yeah, that's true, but... Uh, okay, so that's enough mental misstepping. Uh, Legendary <laughs> Hero 7. I recently started playing Moto. I was wondering where uh, you do most of your deck testing. So two-player queues, leagues, or uh, practice rooms. Where, where do you guys play for testing? Uh, for testing, I tend to play two-player queues. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, sometimes leagues, but I think mostly two-player queues. For me... The the casual rooms or the whatever practice rooms are great because they're free to play the games, but you get a really wide mixture of decks. Even if you go to like tournament practice, you're not going to necessarily play all real decks. So if you're really trying to test uh, at a more competitive level, you almost have to suck it up and pay a couple play points or event ticks to, to be in the two-player queues because you just... Uh, you just run into so many janky decks in the practice rooms, in my experience. Yeah, I, I think I, I usually play leagues, like unless the deck is so questionable that I don't want to play five games with it. <laughs> uh, because usually, if you're testing it, you got to play more than like a couple matches anyway. So you might as well just go uh, play a league. But if the deck is just really questionable, you don't know if you're going to play five games with it, then uh, two player queues. 
All right, next question from Lagrania. What are your thoughts on SCG attempting a, monop- a monopoly on modern and legacy events while Channel Fireball and WotC lock in standard? They should do it. I mean, I think it's a pretty golden opportunity for them to seize that. They should definitely do it. And uh, obviously, actually this ties into because they just announced that uh, their, their new uh, tour, Seth, has a ton of modern uh, events on it. Yeah, the second half of the year has eight modern, two standard, and a couple of random, I think one legacy, two team, but four times as much modern than standard. So I'm excited for it. I love watching modern tournaments, so I'm excited to see uh, increased support. And if that's how it has to break down with SCG being the modern and legacy place and GPs and Channel Fireball being focused on standard, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, at 3-3 Beast. What's the deal with the disparity of Modern Masters 2017 Damnation versus Planar Chaos Damnation? Uh, one is 20 and the other is 40. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't... To, to, to continue to answer the question, I think the MM17 uh, right now is going to be underpriced uh, for at least a little while longer, but it's going to start trending up. I mean, the other versions, there's like, what? There was the player, there was the judge, there's the normal, and now this one. And the other three versions did not budge at all, so it's really like you're you're buying Damnation at like a fifty percent discount. That's probably not going to last that much longer. Yeah, it's kind of somewhat normal to see older cards like that, where people like, even though it's only a set symbol, there's some amount of prestige uh, in playing the original versions of cards, at least for some players. So apparently well, it's, old, people, it's old frame too, right? Yeah, old frame. Oh, yeah. that's yeah, that's even a better point. So I mean, there's there's a, a lot of people that just want the original printings. Uh, so I think that's part of the reason as well. Yeah, but normally, the even the new, uh, newer, like reprinted cards start to trend back to somewhat where the other versions are. Well, we gotta we gotta start another round of damnation memes. So Wizards has to wait another <laughs> ten, fifteen years. Yeah, uh, I mean. Next question from at random Keho. How come poutine is a Canadian invention and not American? I didn't even know it was a Canadian invention. So news to me. Wait, what? <laughs> wait, wait. Do you because you guys are from upstate New York? You guys actually eat poutine quite often. No, is is that? I, I don't. Eat I don't know. I no. <laughs> I mean, you I know what poutine is, so that's good. <laughs> yes, I've I did not know it was a Canadian invention. I literally had, did not even know that. Oh, to me, poutine makes so much sense. You like gravy and fries and cheese, whereas like chili fries. Oh my god, I can't eat chili fries. <laughs> so, so actually, uh, fries and gravy is really popular around here, not with the cheese. Uh, and we had this uh, restaurant in the town where I lived, and the the guy that ran it thought he was like this high-class chef and he would literally (laughs) if anyone ordered french fries with gravy he would get so mad and like yell at them and wouldn't serve it to them because he thought it was like i don't know below him to make french fries with gravy yeah upstate (laughs) uh that's definitely that's a typical Uh, like buffalo bills upstate new uh, york is basically you have tim hortons you're basically canadian yeah (laughs) you you probably get poutine at your stores yeah (laughs) from miguel is a Matt or Big Lisa at I don't I don't know this name is hard. Oh Miguel Isa Matt. There we go. There's a space in the actual name, not the Twitter handle. Oh. Do you guys actually come across salty players on Magic Online? How do you deal with them? I'm sure Seth comes across them a lot more than uh, I do. I don't play as frequently, but actually, I've I've come across my first time playing paper in a draft. Someone did not shake my hand. That's the first time I've ever came across that, so it actually ties into that. Uh, basically, just move on. I mean, I I don't. The more time you spend just like feeding, you know, the salty player. I mean, it's it's just easier just to close it and just keep moving on. I think so I, I said okay, and I moved and I just walked away. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of my technique on Magic Online as well. I actually think I run into less salty players now that I'm hmm. somewhat well known because I get a lot of people like, oh, hey, Seth, or oh, I know you. And I think that that keeps people from being salty with me to some extent when they might be if I was just some random person. Uh, but 
if I do run into someone like that, I just don't engage. Like if someone starts being salty, the yeah. nice thing about Moto is you can close the chat or ignore the chat. So I just, I don't say anything back because even if you try to say something nice or something that'll make the situation better, it's normally not going to work when someone's in that state. So I just don't say anything when it happens. Yeah, I didn't even know there was a chat for quite some time. It opens up behind, like, it opens up behind the actual, like, play window, and I literally didn't even know it was there sometimes. Could have said, could have been cursing my name the entire time. Wouldn't have known. Oh, the worst is when you trade or something, and it pops behind, and you're, like, waiting for the trade window. <laughs> yeah, just, yep. just ignore trolls. I mean, yeah, yep. what are you going to do? Like Seth said, you're not going to teach them on the spot, so just, just ignore. Uh, next question from the guy, Doug. Why are good one CMC tempo spells usually uncommon instead of rare? Path, probe, spell snare, etc. Because they're not worthy of being rare. They don't do anything. Yeah, yeah I, I think right? it's like it's a... just like a counter spell, or it's just like a removal at one mana. It's is that really rare worthy? I think it's actually a good thing that they're uncommons because if they were rares, I mean, could you imagine Fatal Push right now being a rare? <laughs> Um, yeah, I honestly think it's just design and, and cost perspective. Um, you know, you really want these, wouldn't want these cards as rares. I, I think it would actually kind of mess up the, the draft environment as well. Um, so, I mean, when you open up a draft and you open up Jataxian Probe as your rare, I, I don't know how, how well that shakes out. All right. Uh, at OFC Rodney Farver, will we get a commander metagame section? Uh, I'm assuming this is the 1v1 commander, and once or if Wizards releases results for it, then it'll go up on the site. And last question from Joseph M. Uh, started playing Modern a little over a year ago. Uh, started getting into Jund, but I find myself unable to get the lines of play down. Uh, obvious solution would be to build on Moto, but after investing 1500 on the paper version, that's going to be a slow process. Do you have advice? on a budget version so I can build it cheaper and upgrade to get some reps in. Uh, so how do you practice an expensive deck, I guess, is the question. In this case, Jund. So my answer would be just find a friend and proxy other decks and play. That would be very cheap, cost you nothing, and you can get as much practice as you want. Uh, the other solution, which is already too late here, is just don't build the paper version. <laughs> just build, you know, build the Magic Online version, which is cheaper to begin with, and then you can practice on Magic Online and just play on Magic Online the entire time as well. Uh, so, so either proxy or uh, Magic Online. I wouldn't build a budget version, though. Playing like budget Jund is not going to teach you the lines of actual Jund. It's going to be a lot different. So I wouldn't go and build some kind of alternate budget version. Yeah, that's that is actually a tough one. I think finding a way to get in more reps in paper is probably the the best thing to do because there isn't yeah an effective way to play a budget version with cards like uh, Liliana, Tarmogoyf. There's just no real substitutions for those cards. So yeah, try to find a way to play more, maybe solitaire some against yourself just to go through different lines can be beneficial, but. I don't know. That's a tough one. All right. That wraps up our fish mail for this week. So thanks to everyone for sending them in. Sweet. Uh, great goldfish questions. All right, uh, gentlemen, we will see what happens at the Pro Tour. We're going to be here next week talking about it. You're going to hear from all three of us uh, over the Pro Tour weekend. So can't wait to watch it. Hope everyone has a good time. We will talk about it uh, next episode. Um, but, yeah, until then, this is going to be the crew signing out. We will see you all next time.